today, uh, I want to continue to offend you. We started offense last week, and we're going to continue offense today. Now, today I want to talk to, about two types of hunger. Actually, there are two types of hunger. I'm only going to talk about one of them. Physical hunger, you're on your own. I got nothing for you today. I want to talk about spiritual hunger and the type of hunger that you need to have in your heart if God's going to change us. We're going to look at the story of Jacob and we're going to figure out what what Jacob's condition had to be before God could change him. Now, if God's going to change you, he's going to take you through five stages and stage one is conflict. Conflict. I want you to think about that. If you are in conflict right now, relational conflict, congratulations. The God of the universe has you right where he wants you to start um, making your heart different. When God wants to change you, it always starts with what? What's this word that's underlined? Conflict. Let's say it again. What? Conflict. Jacob's entire life can be summed up in conflict. If you know anything about the Old Testament, it's in Genesis uh, chapters, start about 27. We're going to look at 31 and 32 today. When, um, when Jacob was born, he was a twin. He was the second twin. So the first twin was his brother Esau. When he came out of the womb, he was fighting with his older brother. They fought the whole time. In fact, he had a hold of his heel when he came out. And so they said, this kind of indicates his character. We think he's going to try to be number one. Sounds like a lot of children. But in the second child, like, wait for me, I'm coming out. So they named him Jacob, which means supplanter, which means deceiver, which means schemer. They said, we think that's what this kid is going to be like. And man, were they right. From that point on, Jacob and Esau fought, but they fought in addition to the normal sibling fighting. They fought some really strange ways. So for instance, Jacob um, tricks his older brother Esau out of something called the birthright. In, In those days, the firstborn son got a double portion. It's called his birthright. And so he comes in one day. Jacob is a, is a daddy's boy, and his daddy loves him the most. This is very unhealthy. You'd think you got a messed up family. They had a messed up family. Uh, Jacob was, was the mama's boy. Esau was, a, was the father's boy. So Esau was the hunter. He, would, he and his daddy spent time together. Jacob was a mama's boy. He stayed home. He didn't like to get his fingers uh, dirty, his fingernails dirty, or anything like that. So, so Esau comes in. He's he says, I'm famished. And so because Jacob's name was schemer, because he was a manipulator, he thought, I want to be number one. I'm going to, I'm going to trick him out of his birthright, his double portion of the inheritance. So Esau says, I'm famished. Give me some of your stew. And he says, well, only if you give me your birthright. And he says, well, I'm about to die. Esau's, you know, really, really a whiner. I'm going to die. What good is my birthright if I die? And he says, swear to me, you'll give me your birthright. I'll give it to you. So he gives him his birthright. Later, with his mama's help, Jacob also steals the blessing that Esau was supposed to have. Jacob, uh, his daddy calls him in and says, hey, go out and get me some food. And so Esau goes out to get some food. When he comes back, mama and Jacob have schemed to make dad think that that Jacob is Esau. They put on extra skin, made him look hairy, made him smell like this. He goes, your voice sounds like Jacob, but but your arms and, and your smell, you smell like Esau. So he blesses him. And this time he'd gone too far because this time whenever Esau found out, he said, I'm gonna kill him. And his mama said, your brother's gonna kill you. You got to leave now. And so he runs away. They're fighting all the time. And see, when God's trying to get Jacob's attention, what you find out is he always responds to conflict in the same way. He always runs away. He's a runner. He's not a fighter. Now, when we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 31 and 32, Jacob is literally 
between a rock and a hard place. He's got two conflicts, major family conflicts going on at the same time. First is his father-in-law. So when he runs away from home, he goes to, um, to some relatives. He finds a girl named Rachel. He falls in love with her, and he falls in love with her so much, he says to Laban, his future father-in-law, I will work for seven years if you'll give me Rachel. I'll work for free. That'll be the dowry that I pay you. So Laban is a really sorry individual. And, and by the way, my, uh, my memory verse right now is Proverbs 10, 7, which says this, and you're going to understand this in a minute says, the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Laban was wicked, and his name rots in our minds. And, and anyway, I'm going to tell you that because Laban tricks Jacob. Jacob the trickster is being out-tricked by his father-in-law. He gives him the, the older sister first. Her name is Leah. She wasn't such a good looker. Rachel was a hot chick, and he loved Rachel. But he, how drunk would you have to be to not know that you're marrying the wrong girl? I don't know. I'm just throwing that in there. That's not in the scripture. I'm just saying dude must have been messed up because he goes in, and he consummates the marriage and doesn't know till the next day he married the older daughter, Leah. And he's like going, ah, who are you? I'm the older sister. Husband, Right? And so he goes back, you tricked me. He said, well, if you'll work another seven years. So he gets 14 years of free labor, and he gets to marry Rachel as well. And then he eventually works for his father-in-law for 20 years. And, and if you read the story, you really need to read this story this week. You'll find out that Laban changed the, uh, the salary that he was paying Jacob over those last six years 10 different times because he's a sorry individual. The name of the wicked will rot. Now, so Jacob because he has conflict, because he's kind of worn out as welcome. Here's, let's, let's see how he figures out he's worn out as welcome. In Genesis 31, 1 and 2, it says this, but Jacob soon learned that Laban's son, so his brother's-in-law, so he's had conflict with his brother. He's got conflict with his father-in-law. He's, if you marry two sisters, you're going to have conflict, right? I mean, come on, the just dumb. He's conflict with him and his wives. Between the two wives, now he's got conflict with his brother's-in-law. Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything. So here's what happened. Laban says to him, okay, I'm going to give you only the messed up sheep. I get the good sheep, you get the messed up sheep. And so what God did, God blessed Jacob. All the sheep were messed up. And so then he changed it. Well, I'm going to give you the spotted sheep. God causes all the sheep to be born spotted. I mean, here Jacob, he's a trickster, but God's blessing him, and he's getting rich. Off of, no, you're going to get the striped sheep. And then all the sheep are striped. He's getting this massive amount of wealth at the expense of his father-in-law. And, and his brothers-in-law said, they're grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything. It's not, did Jacob make the, the sheep be born messed up and striped and spotted? No, that was of God. But they were jealous. He has gained all, our, all his wealth at our father's expense. So now he has conflict with his brother's-in-law. And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude towards him. That's an understatement. So the living arrangement's gone south. He's been gone 20 years, and God shows up to him and says, it's time to go home. Well, he's got problems there. He has conflict. How does he always respond to conflict? He runs. But you can't leave quietly. So in the middle of the night, he takes his wives and his children. He's got two wives, 11 children, tons of spotted, messed-up, striped sheep, and he sneaks off. Now, it's really hard to sneak off when you've got this big of a caravan. He does get three days head start, and then the brothers notice. They tell the father-in-law, the father's ticked. He comes chasing him, takes him seven days to catch up with Jacob. And when he gets there, he's like, you're taking the grandkids? Oh, no. I mean, y'all understand that. If you have grandkids, you're taking my grandkids. You can leave. Leave your grandkids. 
right? You're taking my grandkids. Laban starts acting. So he's got this big honking conflict. His father-in-law, brothers-in-law, they're coming this way. God has told him to go back home, but who's waiting back home? Remember the last thing his twin brother said? I'm going to kill you. And he, he meant it. I'm going to rip you to shreds. So he's right smack in the middle of two huge family conflicts. So Jacob devises a plan because that's what he's done his whole life. He comes up with a scheme. I know I'll send messengers home to my brother and I'll send a whole bunch of money and maybe I'll buy him off. Maybe he'll be okay with that, that I took his birthright and I took his blessing. Messengers and cash, that's his plan. So I want you to say messengers and cash. Look what happens in verse 6. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, I'm sorry, this is funny to me. We met your brother Esau, and he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. And what does sissy boy Jacob do? Mama's boy who can't fight. Jacob was terrified at the news. Now, I had one particular translation here, my translation, you know, my perverted translation of the Scripture, and I thought maybe I should dress it up because this is a family-friendly church, and this is Mother's Day. So my translation is, Oh, mountain of manure! I'm a dead man. I tried. That's, that's the best I got. Yes. Mountain of man. Okay, it didn't work the first time. So he's got his father-in-law coming in one direction, his brother coming another direction. Literally, he's in a bad spot. And it's totally out of his hands. For one of the first times in his life, he doesn't have a scheme for this. And that's stage one, Conflict. Caught between a rock and a hard place. You know what he does? He prays. It never, it never occurred to him to pray before he was in a rock and a hard place, in between a rock and a hard place. But now he prays. And look what he says in verse 9. Oh, God, I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me. When I read that, I'm going, you got that right? Manipulator, liar, deceiver. That's why God didn't let me write the scripture. Oh, God, I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me. Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau because why? I am afraid because I'm a mama's boy and he's going to kill me. So mad family on both sides, what's he going to do? He goes back to scheming. He doesn't listen to the Lord. He doesn't wait for God. To, he goes back to scheming. I know what I'll do. I'll divide my family in half. I'll put half of my family over here, and I'll put uh, animals, and then I'll put my servants, and then I'll put my children, and I'll put my wife that I don't really like. I'll put her over here, and then over here I'm going to put animals, and then servants, and then children, and then my wife I really like, and I'm going to send them on ahead. And what he's thinking is, if Esau is going to kill half my family, at least the other half will live. Now, the really strange thing is he sends them both across the river, you know what he does? He stays behind. I think, this is my interpretation, I think it's because if he's fighting them, I got more chance to run. I can run a lot faster with all these, without all these chilling st- holding me back and all these sheep. I can get away. That's what I think because he's a schemer. And he spends the night by himself. Right in the middle of the conflict, the Bible tells us he gets in a fight. Now, if he's spending the night by himself, who's he getting a fight with? It's an unusual fight because... He gets in a fight with God. God shows up in human form, and it's Friday night smackdown. Now we get to stage two, crisis. And here's what I want you to understand. The real crisis is with God. The real struggle is with God. I'm not in a a conflict with other people. The The real issue, the core issue, is I'm in crisis with God. Look what it says in verse 24. 
This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and the man came and wrestled with him until dawn, until the break of dawn, or stop, until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. This is actually kind of funny if you knew Hebrew. The, the Jabbok River is there. Jabbok means wrestle, and here's Jacob, and he's wrestling with God. And if we were Israelites, we'd go, that's kind of funny, but it doesn't work. Um, the biggest conflict is not with his brother. It's not with his wives. It's not with his father-in-law. His biggest struggle is really with God. And that's what I want you to understand. Your biggest struggle is with God. All those people you're struggling with, that's a symptom. Your real struggle is with God. So I want you to say that out loud on this Mother's Day. My biggest struggle is with God. Jacob's been running his whole life. Now God has him right where he wants him. And he's like, okay, buddy, you're caught between a rock and a hard place, and we're going to have it out. God shows up in human form to wrestle with him. Now, you need to understand this. Um, When you wrestle with God, it doesn't bother God at all because it's contact sport. It's close contact. It means you're up close with God, and he'd rather have you clutching onto his garments than whining about your life. He would rather you say, God, this sucks, than to go, uh-huh, it's just not fair. He doesn't want you apathetic. He wants you saying, God, I'm ticked off, and let's have it out. And God says, bring it on. Let's see how much of a man or a woman you are. Bring it on. How do we know this was... God who wrestled with Jacob and not just some random hobo wandering around out in the wilderness. Well, because Hosea tells us this. Hosea is a prophet. He tells us in, in chapter 12, verse 3, he says, Before Jacob was born, he struggled with his brother. And check this out. And when he became a man, he even fought with who? God. The Scripture tells us. You always interpret Scripture by other Scripture. And, and the job of the prophet is to speak forth the Word of God. A minuscule part of a prophet's job was foretelling the future. The 99% of the job of a prophet is to foretell the word of God and to say, thus saith the Lord. A, a double dog, triple dog, however, cinquinto dog, tri- I don't know, quinceanera. I don't know how many, I, I don't know. I dare you to go to the scripture and to study the prophets and see how much time they spend talking about who's in, in leadership and how much they, time they spend saying, God said you done messed up. And if you don't get right, God's coming to judge. That's the job of a prophet. So this prophet says, Jacob even fought with God. That problem you're having with your kids, with your husband, with your wife, with your friends, with your finances, with your health, symptom. Your real problem is with God. And it boils down, your problem boils down to two things. Number one, will I trust God to take care of the situation? That's the first question. That's the first, there we go. Will I, what's that say? Trust God. Second question, will I, go ahead, next one. Will I obey God? Those are your two issues. It's not the problem, it's not the fight you're having. Here's the real struggle. Will I trust God? Will I obey God? And if you don't, there's three words for that that describe your situation. Crisis with God. You're in a crisis with God. So conflict with others, crisis with God brings us to stage three. And, and by the way, you have to make a choice to get through all of these stages. So this isn't an automatic stage. This is a choice you have to make. Third, stage three is commitment. 
And in stage three, I finally say, God, I am sick of doing life my way. Whatever you say, I'm going to do. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to hold on. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to go with your plan if it kills me and just newsflash today. God's plan rarely kills you. I'm going to say rarely because there was a guy named Samson. You remember what happened to Samson at the end of his life? Because he was an idiot most of his life. He was a he-man with a she-weakness. At the end of his life, he, he ends up killing more Philistines by knocking down the temple that they were in than he killed in all of his life. But that's not usually God's plan. Usually God's plan is if you will stay and do what I want you to do, you are invincible in the middle of God's will until God's will says that's your last day. If it's your last day, it doesn't matter what you say. The Lord God will take you. So God's plan rarely kills you unless your time is up and then you're going. So look what happens. Verse 26, then the man, that's God, said, let me go for it's dawn. They'd been wrestling all night long. So it wasn't dancing with the stars, it's wrestling with God. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. God loves passionate praying. He hates, God, would you bless my life? How are you going to know if he does it? Be specific. Life's not fair. And I imagine Jesus going, have you seen the cross? I was innocent. I gave my life. You want to talk about fair? No, it's not fair. God says, I want people who hold on and say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the man says, let me go for it is dawn wrestling for hours. And here's the thing you need to understand. God could have overpowered him just like that. God was having grace on him by even showing up in human form and wrestling with him. Why doesn't he just give us what we want the first time we pray? Boom! That's what I'm talking about. I need to win the lottery. Boom! It's not how God works. If you have Preschoolers, you, you have witnessed this. There's a difference in a whim and a desire. Have you noticed this? A whim is, Daddy, or Pop, Pop, can I have this? And if you redirect them and they forget about it, that was just a whim, not a desire. If they wear you out, maybe it's a desire. God says, I don't answer whims. If you pray about it one time and then forget about it, you weren't serious. So God's not obligated to answer that. I will not let you go. Unless you bless me. Second reason, God's not a vending machine. <laughs> Newsflash, God says, I don't serve you. You serve me. Obediently, then I bless you. You see the difference? God, <laughs> it's about time you do what I told you to do. Would you walk into a court of law and tell that judge sitting behind would you tell them it's about time? You'd only tell them once. I hold you in contempt of court. You don't want to storm into God's presence and say, it's about time. God doesn't serve you. You serve him. You remember, I, I don't know why I've been thinking about this movie a lot lately, but you remember when, when Bruce Almighty, when, when God shows up and gives him all his power? Remember the first thing that Bruce does with all that power? Yeah, I righted a few wrongs. I got even. That's what you'd do too if God gave you power. 
used it all on himself. And so the message of the scripture is Jacob didn't get messed up in one night. He spent a lifetime perfecting his mess up, and you have too. You didn't get screwed up with one night. You've been making a series of screwed up choices, and that's how you've gotten to where you are. You don't build a problem in your life for 20 years and then instantly with some magic two-second prayer, God heals you. No, it doesn't work that way. When you reach bottom and when you cry out and say, God, I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to do it your way no matter what. Then you've reached stage four, and stage four is confession. And you might want to just jot this down. This is the breakthrough stage. The reason there's not a breakthrough in your life, you haven't come to this stage. I'm going to show you why. Notice how it happened in Jacob's life. This is awesome. So the man, God, says, what is your name? And he replied, Jacob. Now, when God asks you a question, it's never for his benefit. He already knows the answer. Like when he asked Moses, what's in your hand, Moses? It was a staff. It was, his, it was a symbol of authority over the sheep. It was, it was protection. It was how he could rescue the sheep. Do you think the God of the universe who hung the planets in place didn't recognize a shepherd's staff? No. He wasn't asking for himself. He was asking because he wanted Moses to recognize what he put his hope in. A staff. Really? A stick? Throw that stick down. It becomes a snake. Now pick it up by the tail. God, you don't pick it up by the tail. Pick it up. Right? And he learned some things about God. When he asks you a question, it's for your benefit, not his. God already knew his name. The reason is he asked Jacob his name. He wanted him to speak truth. He wanted to say who he was. Because in ancient times, they named you... Um, it wasn't chosen for how nice they sound. You know, the, you know we didn't name Caleb Joshua because Jane, Janie didn't want a Joshua Washburn. Josh Washburn, there's too many... Sh- sh- so I said, how about Caleb? Caleb Washburn, that sounds good. One of my favorite Bible characters. They didn't choose names like that. You could be named after a profession like Baker, Carpenter, Smith. You could be named after a relative like Johnson, Johnson, or Jackson. I mean... The, That's just the way it was. Or you could be named for a situation. Jabez was named painful because his mother's birth, or the the birth, his birth, was so painful. You ever look at one of your kids and say, I should have named you Jabez. Because all you've been doing is causing me pain. Don't you know, mom was going, have I told you, son, about how much pain? Yes, mom, I'm named painful. Most often, though, in those times, people named their children based on their character. In fact, a lot of times, they wouldn't even name them for seven days. They would observe them for seven days, and they say, this is the most prominent characteristic of that child, and they would name them that way. So Jacob was named Deceiver. Man, did he live up to it. His entire life was conflict after conflict because he was a deceiver, a manipulator. And God's saying, Jacob, I want you to admit who you are. So if you were named after your biggest character flaw... What would your name be? Hi, my name is Bitter. Hi, my name is Selfish Jerk. Hi, my name is Gossip. Hi, my name is Angry Manipulator. Hi, my name is Lust. My name is Butthead. Aren't you glad we name you based on how it sounds and not on your worst character flaw because some of you would say, hi, my name is Horses Rear End. Hi, my name is Liar. Hi, I'm Cheater. Hi, I am zero integrity. 
I'm a flirt. Hi, I'm adulterer. When Jacob says, I'm Jacob, it's an act of confession. I'm manipulator. Here's the really cool thing. The God of the universe is not shocked like going, I didn't know I was wrestling with a deceiver. Ooh, get away. You have cooties. No. He's not surprised at all. God already knows everything about you, and he loves you anyway. He's just waiting for you to admit it. Confession means I agree with God that this is my character flaw. Lasting change starts with this kind of brutal honesty. And did you know why we lose most people from Celebrate Recovery? It's because they refuse to be honest with who they are. They get to the step where they have to admit who they are, and it's too painful. I'm going to run away. Well, you're going to stay in conflict. You're going to stay in crisis until you confess. So obviously, you like where you are if you're not healed because you're not ready to confess yet. When you get to the bottom, you say, God, I'm angry manipulator. God, I'm, I'm a deceiver. God, I'm a selfish jerk. When you do that, when you know you're at this stage is when you say these words, I am the problem. It's not my spouse. It's not my children. It's not my... My boss is me. And here's how the God of Christianity is different than any other religion. Here's how we know. Here's what it says in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. In other words, he moves closer to and he rescues honest people. Those who confess. He already knows it. You already know it. You're just not willing to admit it. You've not gotten well because you won't confess who you are. You get to stage five, and it's conversion. This is my favorite step. Conversion is where I get a new identity. Look what he says in verse 28. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. So in conversion, God gives you a new name. But you've got to go through conflict, crisis, confession. What was the fourth one? Oh, stage four is confession. And then you get to conversion. God changes your name. Look what he says. From now on, you will be called Israel. You ever heard of the name Israel? Like the nation Israel? This is where they got their name. God took a deceiver, a manipulator, and he changed his name. Gave him a new identity, and now we still call the people, the Hebrew people Israel because of this. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I've seen God face to face, and yet he has spared my life. God says, you've been called manipulator, you've been called deceiver, you've been called supplanter, schemer, cheater. Beneath all of that, God says, I see a prince. Do you know what Israel means? Prince of God. You're not going to be that other guy anymore. You're going to be a prince of God. Or another translation, uh, one of the commentators I read said, a God-mastered man. God is my Lord. So I'm not what I am in my past. That's not my name anymore because I've confessed that. And it doesn't matter if you know who I used to be, I am now this person in God. I'm a God-mastered man. I'm a God-mastered woman. Everyone else saw defeated, mean-spirited, cheating, lying, manipulated, but beneath it all, God says, I see a prince. And you need to understand God does his deepest work in your identity, who you are, what he calls you. 
and, and I, you probably know this, but you may not know this. You act according to how you see yourself. We're going into this new series starting next week called Alter Ego, meaning A-L-T-A-R, like the altar of God. Like we've got to lay down all those labels that somebody gave to us and then pick up who God says we are. God was always changing people's names. He changed Simon's name to Peter. And he said, you're a rock. You're a rock man. Gideon in the Old Testament, when God shows up, Gideon's hiding. He's kind of like a Jacob. He's hiding. He's afraid. And God says, hey, mighty man of valor. And I think Gideon was like, where? I would like to meet this guy. And God says, it's you. I've chosen you to be a mighty man of valor. Um, James and John, so in the, in the New Testament, there's always Jesus hanging out with his disciples, but there's three in the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. James and John were called the sons of thunder because they were always getting in trouble. They were always, hey, we want to be the greatest. Can we sit on your right hand and on your left? Eventually, God changes their name to beloved disciples. In fact, that's what John calls himself. He says, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. His identity was in Christ, not in his idiotic behavior. Some of you were given an identity by your mom or your dad. Loser, zero, dumb, you're worth nothing. And the world has given you labels and God looks at you and says, I see a prince, I see a princess, I see my child, I see who you can become, but you've got to walk through the process and you have to confess, this is what I have seen myself as God. Would you give me your eyes? Because I don't want to be proud. I want to see myself the way you see me. We get to the New Testament, and here's how Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 6. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Old Testament translation of this is, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm not letting go, God. I know what people have said about me. I know what people have said to me. I'm not letting go until you bless me, until you give me a new name. Or you can say it like this. I submit to every change that God wants to make in my life. We're going to get into this in this new um, series. God always works through authority. And if you rebel against authority, whether it's your parents, whether it's your boss, whether it's the, the authorities that God has placed over you in a church, if you rebel against them, you step out from underneath God's authority, and God always works through authority. Now, you don't have to follow someone that, that's not following God, but you remember when David had the opportunity to kill King Saul? He said, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed, and God blessed him for it. So do you want to be a king like Saul and, and have the hand of God removed from you? Or do you want to be a king like David, a man after God's own heart? You don't raise your hand against authority. I want to submit to every change that God wants to make in my life. If you can't submit to, to earthly authorities, you're not going to submit to God. You're fooling yourself. And, and when we take that to an extreme, what happens? The authorities show up and they remove all of your freedoms and they put you in prison. I'm not submitting. Yeah, you are. You're either going to prison or you're going to die resisting. So I'm saying there's a smarter way. Submit to those authorities that God has put over you and let him change your identity. 
I submit to every change that God wants to make in my life. God's going to bless me. He's going to give me a new name. And I humbly ask, here's the next step. I humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Now look what happens. Back to Genesis chapter 32, verse 31. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. You remember what happened? He's wrestling, and, and the man touched his hip, and, and he walked with a limp the rest of his life. God says, I'm changing your name, but you're going to walk with a limp. And here's what you need to know. All of God's greatest heroes, Old Testament and New Testament, walked with a limp. Because they fought with God, God says, I'm going to win. Now, it may have been a physical limp, an emotional limp, a mental limp, a relational limp, but, but God uses hurt people that he has healed to change the world. If you're still stuck in your hurt, you've not walked through the stages. Paul says this, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. This is, this is, he, he limps because of this. We don't know that literally. People have argued maybe he couldn't see, maybe he was hunchback, maybe he was flat out ugly. I mean, I've heard all of those things in commentaries. We don't know. He says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So look what Paul says. So now I boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. If you're going to be used by God, he's going to give you a thorn in the flesh. He's going to give you a limp so that you remember it's all about him. It is not about you. The reason you can't boast about your weaknesses to a small group of people is because you're not at this stage. You're still trying to hide your weaknesses, and, and people already know. Get to this stage where you get a new name. You are converted. you got to admit who you are. I have no idea why God asked me to preach this sermon on Mother's Day. But I felt like I needed to be obedient. Some of you need to confess and be changed. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have given us a promise for every problem we will ever face. Whether that is disobedient children, whether that is... um, a rebellious and, and angry spouse, whether that, whatever it is, a boss that we can't stand. I don't know, God, but you, you've, you've given us the answer in your scripture. And our, our answer is to hold on to you and say, we will not let you go unless you bless us. I thank you, God, that my mom prayed for me when I was an idiot. I think mom said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless my son and change him from an idiot to a preacher. I actually think that's what she prayed. So I thank you that moms sometimes, oftentimes see in us what we can't see in ourselves. Give us a heart that will pray and not let go till you bless us and our children and their children and their children. God, let us celebrate this this gift you've given us of our moms. Let us honor them today with what we say, with what we do. Let us honor you every day by bowing before you and say we want to become who you've made us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.